In the UK alone, over 8 million mattresses are discarded every year. How do we stop all that value leaking out of the system? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Hello, welcome back and thanks for taking the time to listen. It's episode 96 and today I'm talking to Nick Oettinger, founder and CEO of the Furniture Recycling Group, TFR Group, in the UK. Nick has 12 years experience in recycling and waste management. He was previously managing director of a specialist construction company before moving into the waste and recycling sector, where he spent five years as an improvement consultant and nine years in product recycling. The Furniture Recycling Group, TFR Group, provides mattress recycling, rejuvenation and collection, working in the UK with bed retailers, local authorities, home delivery companies and waste management sites to keep mattresses and their materials in circulation. They rejuvenate and recycle over 10,000 mattresses every week and are responsible for diverting nearly 9% of all UK mattresses away from landfill. We'll hear how online retailing has transformed the market for mattresses and led to increased levels of returns. Nick explains the complexity of mattress designs and how TFR Group is going beyond recycling to help its customers recover more value from unwanted mattresses. Nick describes the broader circular services and advice offered to the Furniture Recycling Group's clients and what makes mattresses such a challenging product to reuse or remake, including barriers created by our subconscious perceptions. Let's meet Nick, and as usual, I'll catch up with you afterwards to share what I took away from our conversation. Nick, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, and thanks for joining us today to talk a bit about the Furniture Recycling Group. And maybe we could start with a quick overview of what the Furniture Recycling Group does. Oh, well, uh, hi, Catherine. Thanks ever so much for inviting me on uh, to start with. Yes, um, uh, Furniture Recycling Group is a, a company we started uh, just over 13 years ago. And uh, its its aim was to take difficult uh, to recycle items out of landfill and find uh, a, a use for them, a home for them in terms of their material composition. Um, the name of the company suggests that we looked at all furniture, um, but we looked at the hardest uh, types of furniture to deal with first, which was mattresses. Um, and uh, actually, we've never got off that subject yet. So we predominantly are a mattress recycler, uh, although we do deal with uh, other items. Um, but yeah, there's so much scope for um, uh, growing mattress recycling within the UK. 
that uh, that we haven't completed that mission yet before we get on to anything else. So, um, so yeah, a, a, a brief overview, I suppose, is uh, we we started the company with just myself uh, and uh, and uh, a little unit where we used to take apart mattresses. We've now grown to a business which operates over four sites throughout the UK, um, which employs uh, we have a. I think just over 140 uh, employees now, uh, which is fantastic. And probably the proudest bit about this is providing the sustainable jobs uh, for hardworking people. Um, and we're recycling currently in the region about 14,000 mattresses a week. So wow. very different from the one mattress that we had first week uh, from our uh, from our first customer. I unfortunately don't get to recycle many mattresses anymore. I've turned into an accountant and, and <laughs> HR and everything else, but uh, but I still keep uh, a very good uh, a very good eye on the shop floor and uh, have a brilliant team around us that help us grow uh, year on year, which is which is great. Yeah, that's that's yes, impressive. That's, it's that's, you know it's quite a short time, isn't it? Thirteen years to go from the start of an idea to having four sites, and. For people who are not familiar with the inside of a mattress, which I guess is probably 99% of the people listening to this, perhaps you could tell us a bit more about the design and materials um, and some of the recent trends and developments that have perhaps taken us away from more natural materials and, and fillings and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you when you when you lie down at night, you don't really uh, realize what's there. Most people know that there are springs involved, but don't know the sort of composition. Effectively, a, a mattress is made up of a spring unit, um, and then it has something called an insulator pad, which is effectively to stop the springs poking through, so you can't feel them. And that's a hard layer, and that can be various different types of material, anything from horsehair to coconut fiber. Um, to um, uh, shoddy fibres, which is a mixture of old old fibres, uh, wools and polyester. Then you have a comfort layer, uh, which is your sort of squashy stuff that really makes your sort of comfort levels on the mattress right. And then there's the outer material, which is uh, a ticking. Now, we used to say there's up to uh, 19 different material types in a mattress. Now, that's not in each mattress, uh, but over the over the course of all the mattresses it's split into 19 different types that's grown recently to about 26 different um types of materials because we are still getting of course the mattresses that are 30 years old that have come out of some somebody's spare room that's hardly ever used and we're also getting mattresses now that have only been in circulation for a month or so uh whether they be online returns that have been damaged or um uh, or um uh, or, or just the fact that people have turned over their mattresses a lot quicker because they've moved houses or, or whatever it is. So we've seen a massive change in composition within that time. And al although I did say that uh, mattresses have a spring unit in, in it, of course, now increasingly we're finding mattresses without a spring unit in it. And I think everybody will have seen the so-called bed in a box, the rolled up mattress that you see advertised all over TV um, from various brands. And uh, those are effectively foam mattresses, um, which are able to be rolled up. Some do contain a spring unit, others don't. 
so that's definitely the biggest shift we've seen in in mattresses over the last uh, over the last five to six years, um, and it's generally to do with um, delivery options. So delivery options of a rolled up mattress is a one man delivery, which is a lot cheaper than a two man delivery carrying a six foot mattress round a spiral staircase, you know, to the top floor. So, so uh, the, you know, there's a lot of choice out there for people. There are still the traditional, still the natural uh, uh, products that are out there. And, and the traditional mattresses are the, are the majority that are still sold, but about 30% now are the sort of bed in the box mattresses. And we're seeing um, that plateau out. It was a very high growth um, but we're now seeing that sort of plateau out because I think the UK market is is very much more attuned to a traditional mattress um, uh, rather than the rolled up mattresses, which which are probably used more by younger people because you know it's it's quite a an innovative thing to be able to pop this thing and see it grow. In fact, it's really cool to watch, um, and they are supremely comfortable mattresses so a lot of people ask me what's what's the best type of mattress to lie on and it's it's what you're used to more than anything mm. uh, so so we've seen a massive shift and and change from uh, horsehair and uh, and it used to be a long time ago carpet put in mattresses uh, as an insulator layer uh, to more technical products now and mixtures of fibers like your polyesters and we're seeing a resurgence well, not even a resurgence, a starting now for manufacturers looking to put recycled uh, materials into their uh, mattresses. Uh, and you might have seen on, on some of the adverts that people are putting old Coke bottles and pop bottles in that's recycled polyesters and, uh, and that sort of stuff uh, that goes through. So it's going more towards less materials, less um types of materials in each mattress uh, which makes it easier to recycle but but the manufacturers still need the the input from us at the at the back end to tell them what's effectively able to be recycled and not because there is always a potential of greenwashing with these things whereas technically this item can be recycled but you have to send it halfway around the world to get it recycled and then you have to bring it halfway around the world to bring it back in so the carbon footprint also has to be taken into account of the recyclability of the materials when they're designed in at the start mm. yeah that's interesting so um it it sounds as if most of the traditional mattresses are going to come back at the end of their useful life um, which may or may not be sooner than it used to be as, as people decide to trade up or whatever more often. But then the bed-in-the-box ones particularly, where I guess people haven't tried them in a shop and, you know, done the embarrassing thing of lying down for 10 minutes <laughs> on a bed in, yeah. a, in a shop, um, perhaps with your partner uh, complaining that this bed's too hard or too soft. So... Um, the bed-in-a-box ones are perhaps more likely to come back after their trial period, so they they could be hardly used at all. Uh, absolutely, and and from from that point, you know, we're seeing that in traditional mattresses now as well, especially post-COVID, because a lot of shops were shut. 
people were still able to buy online. Mm. So lots of the retailers, and one particular retailer that we deal with, had a shift from 20% online sales and 80% in-store, a complete reversal to 80% online sales and 20% in-store. And that's continued mm. uh, post-COVID or as post-COVID as we are. Um, and, uh, and what happens, of course, with the Consumer Care Act of buying online is if you haven't led on it in the store, mm. Effectively, the Consumer Care Act, the distance selling regulations, as they used to be, kicks into place. So you can send it back within yeah. a period uh, and get your money back. So we are seeing more and more traditional mattresses being sent back uh, because of the uh, uh, huge increase in online sales of the products. Uh, and that's why we, we started our uh, or, or what's called comfort guarantee returns. Uh, is why we started our rejuvenation process, mm. which is um, which is where we take these barely used mattresses in, put them through a very very stringent uh, data capture process. So we're capturing everything from manufacturer faults to uh, to condition uh, cleanliness, and then if it passes within agreed criteria with the with the customer. Uh, or the brand, as it were, because the customer is the person that lies on the mattress, but the brand is is the one that sends it to us. Uh, we then pass that mattress and put it through our in-house developed sanitization system, um, which uh, completely sanitizes the mattress. Um, and then we repackage it, and then the brands will resell that through their websites generally as rejuvenated, which is a fantastic thing. So although people try and buy and then maybe send it back. And there are a certain amount of return rates that come along with that uh, proposition. What we find is that we're not losing those to recycling in the main. Um, so it's not shortening the lifespan at all because we are able to give it another life. Mm. Um, and as well, it's helps helping support lower incomes, which is especially um, uh, needed at this time. Mm. Because this, the second user mattress, I suppose it's the difference between going in and buying a brand new car and buying an ex-demonstrator, which mm. has dropped a certain amount of value. You know, So it means that there are really good mattresses out there that are absolutely brilliant and guaranteed for 10 and 15 years. They've only been slept on a few times. Mm. that have been mm. through a proper process that are now more affordable to, to the sort of mass market i suppose rather than the top end market and and that's really uh, encouraging from from that point um and uh, and and helps things go so in waste hierarchy reuse is higher than than recycling and and i know a lot of your listeners catherine make oh i wouldn't sleep on a, a second hand bed that somebody's had before what i'd say to them is what do you do when you go on holiday Mm, or any time exactly. you go to a Premier Inn or Hilton or you can go to the Savoy and sleep in a bed that's been on the bed for seven years with countless numbers of people in there. You know, it is it is uh, uh, it is one of the barriers we've got to get over is the perception of this being a, a sort of because uh, somebody slept on it. It's a dirty item, which it absolutely is. Uh, I have one myself. So I wouldn't sleep on it if it was dirty. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it is, it is, uh, you know, like a lot of things, our initial perception 
doesn't really stand up to much questioning and challenging, does it? Because you're right that we are all happy to go and sleep in hotels. And I, I was also thinking of, you know, hospital beds are used over and over again, aren't they? Although I guess um, from my experience, Absolutely. they've usually the got nasty, is... nasty plastic mattress covers. <laughs> yes, I mean, if you look at the marketing of mattresses, the marketing um, sort of gives a false impression in the fact that you always end up with a with a gorgeous looking lady or man or both led on top of a mattress, nice and comfortable, but it's a bare mattress. Most people will have a mattress protector or a comfort thing, certainly a fitted sheet. You know, you, you are not um, lying on the bare mattress in 99% mm, of the cases. Exactly. And exactly. those, uh, you know, those li that linen is washed very regularly just as it is in hotels you yeah. know so yeah. So, exactly. so yeah so it's it is a perception issue um but um uh, but i think people are getting over that very very quickly uh i mean we in terms of our rejuvenation just to put some stats on it in terms of consumer complaints for quality um the average uh through brand new mattresses is a about sort of eight to nine percent through deliveries, online deliveries, where people haven't led on the mattress beforehand. The the average uh, complaint ratio from the products that we've put through our process is one point two percent. Yeah, that and that kind of lines up with some of the stats on things like remanufactured technology, because the testing process it goes through, you know, every single unit, not just batch testing across the whole of a production run but testing every single unit for all the things that might be wrong means you end up with something that's more likely to be properly functional and um you know definitely fit for purpose so yeah that's that's a really interesting oh, stat absolutely i liken it very much to the advert that says this has been through an aa 48 point check you know this car it gives mm. you it should give you that certain amount of, of reassurance that it's been through something that's particularly comprehensive mm. and just to just to be clear on this so for those uh, comfort guarantee returns is the furniture recycling group collecting those or are they coming in through the same um you know home delivery service that that sent them out to customers it it can be both really so it can be it can be the brand which organizes the home collection uh it can uh, they can um give that job to us as well we have uh, home delivery partners that do collections on behalf of us uh so we can either deal with the whole journey or just receive the items in and then process them uh, as we get them. Mm. Uh, that volume, to give you an idea, I know we spoke about volume on, on recycling. We're currently doing about 3,500 units a week on that sort of volume. So it's, it's a significant right. amount of mattresses. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's, that's really impressive, isn't it? And particularly because they're the ones that are most likely to, um, to then stay in use for a... Um, you know, a long time afterwards. And so Absolutely. those those are some of your kind of, um, you know, base revenue earning activities, Nick. Um, yeah. And I think when we talked before, you were describing some of the ways that you're helping mattress makers and retailers to learn how to be more circular. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've been sort of banging the drum, well, for as long as I can remember, really. And, uh, and it has been um, uh, like talking to a wall at some point in the past, it's got to be said. But actually, uh, you know, the mattress industry is really receptive to this now. And, and we're, we're almost pushing against open doors or even being invited in. So we now have, uh, uh, we have a sort of element of, of consultative work within our business. We don't charge for, the, for this, but we've gained a huge amount of knowledge in composition of mattresses and end of life um, uh, outlets for different materials and different compositions of materials and also prices because everyone thinks of the circular in circular economy. Nobody, everyone forgets the word economy. Something's got to pay for it. So, you know, you can have the best material in the world that's very recyclable, but if it costs a fortune and it's uneconomical to recycle, it won't get recycled. Mm. So, so we're working with our manufacturers and retailers, uh, and, and we're working with the gods of those areas who are the buyers, the people you don't get to see, um, that, that if you're involved in sales at all to retailers, you'll know they're effectively um, uh, the most important people you're ever going to deal with. And those are the people that we're now talking to, to look at the design of mattresses, not from the point of view of performance, not from the point of view of sale point, although those are very important and they still look at those. But we're also asking them to ask the question, what do we do with this at the end of life? You've designed a mattress. What bits are in the mattress? So maybe you could, uh, and we've asked, uh, and, and one retailer is actually taking it on, that they're asking for a material passport with each product. And they're right. saying, what are the materials in this? And in seven or eight years, when somebody throws this away, what can the recycler do with these materials? If it was thrown away today, where would it go? Let's not hope that somebody invents something to do with these materials in the next seven years, because somebody could spill a cup of tea on it tomorrow and throw it away tomorrow. So it might become waste very quickly. So these materials that you're putting in, what are we doing? And what is the value of those materials? Because as we lurch ever more closely towards extended producer responsibility in mattresses and uh, furniture as a whole, which is the last big extended producer responsibility scheme that needs to be put in, I think. Um, you know, eco-modulation of fees, which is a very uh, sort of, uh, technical way of saying if it's cheaper and easier to recycle and you get more out of it at the end, it shouldn't cost as much from the person who manufactured it to start with. So, so the eco-modulation of fees is very important for, to drive design. Um, and, and we're now working, with, like I say, with retailers, with manufacturers, with designers and buyers um, to give our two penneth worth in to say, well, if you sent me that mattress at the moment, these are what all the materials are worth. Um, so I'll give you a very, very quick example. There is uh, cotton and polyester, are two of the materials mm. that you use as comfort layers within a, material, within a mattress. So cotton is worth about £80 a tonne when we take it out of a mattress. Mm -hmm. Polyester is worth £375 a tonne when we take it out of a mattress. When they mix cotton and polyester into one pad and that pad is mixed, it's worth minus 185 pounds a ton. Mm. So these are the very little things that, that we're trying to 
without preaching, educate our customers on, uh, to say, you know, just just stop and think and ask, you know, what, what's this worth at the end? And if it's a negative number, can we do better? Can we put something in there that'll actually hold and reserve its value? Because the more value you get out of the materials at the end of a dismantling or recycling process, the less you have to charge at the front end to cover the costs of the process all in. Mm. Our, our business model is very, very simple. In the middle, we have uh, the cost of doing it. Um, and we charge for the materials coming in at the front end, and we try and make as much value out of the materials going out of the back end. Well, the, the smaller value materials means you have to charge more at the front end. I always say if they made mattresses with copper springs, you would never see one on the side of the road mm. because you'd be taking them apart for the value. Yeah. You never have to pay for recycling of a mattress because the value is inside one. Now, unfortunately, copper doesn't work in mattresses. Uh, and nobody nobody at buyer level or anyone yet, Catherine, has taken me up on that, which uh, which would be brilliant if they did, but they're not going to. <laughs> but that's the principle. The principle is designing the economy to mm. create the circularity. Mm. If you follow the money first and foremost, then um, then effectively uh, the, the circularity follows... You know, if you've got value in there, nobody's going to throw value away. Yeah. And what about designing for refurbishment or even remanufacture? Is that starting to happen? Um, absolutely, yes. It's it's something that we are, well, that, that we are looking at in terms with, with certain areas. So so we're, we're looking with a few companies at the moment of designing what I term the triggers broom of mattresses. Where you don't have to throw away the whole thing, you can replace the components. So, uh, because you know, I don't know about you, Catherine, but at certain points of the year, I'm laid in bed and I'm too hot, or I've got a bad back and I need a bit more support, and then my back's sorted again, and I don't need as much support. We all need different things throughout different times, and certainly when you've got two people in the same bed. They need different things at different times as well. So we're now looking at substratas of, of mattresses being separate from the comfort layers. So the comfort layers can be changed more regularly. Mm. Um, you know, your spring in a mattress will, will last for 25 years without a problem. Um, but the comfort layers won't. Mm. Now, if you follow the National Bed Federation's latest guidance, it's that you change your mattress every eight years, which is a strange thing, bearing in mind that most mattresses are guaranteed for 10 years. But, mm. you know, we, we've all got to sell mattresses. Mattresses have to be keep being sold to keep the economy going, as does everything else. So, you know, throwaway society is not a bad thing if what's being thrown away has been designed to be thrown away and designed with circular economy principles in mind. But, but um but yeah, so so we're looking at, at, at different types of mattresses with different uh, customers at the moment to design them so that you're not throwing away the whole thing. You're not, you know, it's a little bit like your car. You know, if you lived in Norway, you don't throw your car away when it's winter because you need winter tires. You just swap your tires over to winter tires and mm. then wait till summer again. Sure. You know, so so it's it's that sort of. I think very intelligent thinking by the industry that's going to start making real changes. And there is a subtext to this in terms of 
if you buy the mattress from us and you'll then buy the toppers from us and it's rather than one customer in every eight years, you might get a customer every one year, you know, it's Mm. sort of replaceable parts. But uh, so, so there's always behind everything, there's a financial aspect to it uh, and a sales aspect to it. But, um, uh, but actually, you know what, that will mean that, um, that people won't be throwing away I, I think I think somebody said it to me. It's like throwing the bike away when you get a puncture. Mm. You know what we want to do is replace the wheel or replace the tire, mm. and and that's where we need to get to with mattresses. And that I think will change huge amounts of the industry, purely from a logistical point of view. Because you've got to remember, in in terms of, and I don't know in meters. Sorry, I'm a, a feet kind of guy, but 23 cubic feet is the average mattress. Wow. Now, you know, you know, in, in terms of these big trucks that you see going down the road, so you'll see one of these huge 40-foot wagons going down the road. You'll pass them on the motorway. Uh, you'll hate them when they're on country lanes because you can't get past them. They, they are massive. You'll fit about 80 mattresses onto one of those. That's mm. it. So if you imagine that, that going into a hole in the ground in terms of landfill, you know, the, the, the stat is, the mattresses that are thrown away within the UK, which is about eight and eight to eight and a half million mattresses wow. a year now. Wow. That's a Wembley Stadium two and a half times every year. Yeah. You know, it's a huge, huge volume. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's horrendous. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I would take a different view to you on the kind of, um, you know, throwaway society is not a bad thing. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if we can do something with what's thrown away. Um, but we, we could get into a very long debate about, um, you know, I think, what, I think, why, I think... why that's not going to work from a from a carbon. And, and even the economy point of view, um, I saw some figures um, from Circle Economy from a, an IKEA presentation about sofas the other day. Yes. And IKEA had done some work to look at what value they could recover at various points of the circular process from reselling, from helping people refurbish their sofas, perhaps with new cushion covers or even new covers, um, you know, uh, a more in-depth remanufacture, um, and finally f- earning money from being able to recycle the materials. And instead of just selling the sofa once at maybe 300 euros for an, a basic ikea sofa ikea could generate 600 euros of revenue from those you know three or four circular processes so i think it's you know coming back to what we said it's it's about reuse first and recycling yes we need to design for recycling but if we're also designing for refurbishment maybe with the topper and so on designing for remanufacture and so on then that's even even better no, absolutely, and I think it. I think you're absolutely right. And and my sort of comment on throwaways is design changes move, so old things at the end of at the end of their position do have to go somewhere. You know, I just look at fridges. If we if we didn't innovate and update our fridge, we'd all be on the worst energy rating fridges, sat you know almost gushing out black smoke from the back of it in it, in our houses. So you know, design moves on. But what we've got to do is make sure that design that's being implemented now is designed with end of life in mind. But also, as you say, with refurbishment, with second life, because there is a huge 
furniture issue within the UK and a furniture poverty within the UK, mm. uh, which which the company that you mentioned, IKEA, is is firmly aware of and dealing with in, in terms of trying to do something about that and make products more affordable to to uh, to lower incomes, um, you know, and and, um, and 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 that's I suppose the. The element where the reuse comes in, designing something so that if it's got a, a small issue, the whole thing doesn't have to go away. You can refurbish that part of it and then it can go on to a second life, even if it's not in the same household. Mm. Yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, yeah. exactly. It's, the old, it's the old thing that used to happen with my mum and dad of everything was passed down. Mm. And my first house had every donated bit of furniture you know all the way yeah, through exactly it would yeah. be seen as a model circular economy uh, household now, yeah but that was that was in the days when um you know we designed things to things to last um absolutely but, um, absolutely but yeah so nick in the in the 14 years 13 14 years since you started the furniture recycling group what surprised you the most in terms of building the business and espousing circularity to retailers um, and brands oh crikey so so um i suppose the 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 worst surprise i've had because there's good surprises and bad surprises in all things but uh, i suppose the the bad surprise ha has been just how difficult it has been uh, in the early days to talk about this subject and anybody actually understand it it was a, a tick in a box from a sustainability manager's point of view who who had no say at sort of decision making level um and and that was the most frustrating uh, and surprising thing from companies that were making very big bold statements to the public about their sustainability so that was exceptionally surprising um What's what surprised me in um, in a positive, and this is a very personal uh, thing for inside the company rather than the industry, is um, just how many good people there are out there. You know, we've got 140 people within this business, and I'm not going to be silly and say all of them, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe what we're doing and love it and whatever else. But we've got some excellent people here. We wouldn't be where we are without them. And and from and everyone in terms of management, business owners will tell you, people are the biggest problem. No, people are your biggest resource. Mm. Absolute biggest resource. Treat them well and they will do anything for the business. And they will work hard and... You know, nobody goes to work to do a bad job. Give them an environment where they can grow and do the best that they can be. And that's really surprised me. Because when I first got in here, I thought, I'm just going to be an HR officer and um, uh, and I'm just going to deal with problems all day long. And uh, and actually, that isn't the case at all if you build the right team. Mm. If you go by my first boss's principle of never employ anybody worse than you, always bring somebody in that's better than you. Um, and uh, uh, and that's how you grow. And I've taken that on board, and and that's all we've ever done. Yeah, so basically, like I'm fairly redundant now. <laughs> yeah, well, that that sounds like a a good way, to, a good um, principle to aim for, doesn't it? And and uh, yeah, I've I've heard that before. I think from one of my old old bosses. Um, so um, yeah, that's 
that's that's great advice. And in terms of a, a tip perhaps more about the circular economy, if you were talking to other businesses that wanted to go circular, I know you talk to your clients all the time, um, but talking to somebody who's maybe not into mattress um, sales or or, um, or design, what what top tip would you share with a business wanting to go circular? Oh, there's one very, very simple top tip, and, and it's something uh, that I uh, that I say to all of them. It's ask the question. You know, what is the question? Well, the question is whether you're a buyer or whether you're um, uh, a designer or whether you're involved in, re- you know, when this is going to be thrown away, when somebody is finished with it, what do they do with it? What does the retailer, how does the retailer help with what does somebody do with either the product that's going out there or the product it is replacing? What do we do with the components that are inside it? And if the answer from people who are designing this and trying to sell them is, I don't know, it's somebody else's problem, don't put it on your shelf. Put something else on. Because at that point, you know, the economy in retail works from, manufacturers putting things on retailer shelves and consumers buying them. You know, the the very simple sort of start is, what do we do with it at the end of its useful life? Where does it go? Mm. Who can take it? Can anybody take this product? No, nobody wants it. Well, why are we, why are we making it in this way? Can we not do better? So just ask, you know, ask that question. That's the, it's a, a bit, I suppose, woolly, but if you don't ask the question, what do we do with it when it's finished with? You know, you, you buy a um, you buy a TFRG, uh, well, you can't buy one, but we buy them, uh, reusable mugs that we have for, uh, you know, cups of tea or coffee or juice or whatever it is in and around, uh, in and around the business. Um, first thing we asked is what sort of plastics it's made out of and where can we recycle it at the end of its life? And the amount of people that didn't know that is phenomenal. Yeah. And we ended up buying it from a company that said, it's made out of this. This is where you take it. This is what it can be recycled into. Um, and uh, and that made the sale for us. So we just asked the question, Catherine. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And uh, just to give a quick a quick plug to Circular & Co. I know they, they won a, an award recently. They were on the podcast a couple of years ago. So they make their reusable um, coffee cups very well insulated, spill-proof and everything. They're made from end-of-use um, takeaway tea and coffee cups. They've got a design life of 10 years. And when you finish with it, you can send it back to Circular & Co. to be made into a new cup. Yeah. So perfect closed loop. Absolutely. And Nick... Who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme? Hmm. Crikey. I, 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 um, I really, I really don't know as, as a guest for the future, for a future programme. I always think, you know, it's very easy for us at our end to talk about circular economy. I think it would be really interesting to talk to a buyer and see what they know and see what their thoughts of circular economy is. Because we've talked today about their importance in making sure circular economy is in there. And and uh, if you were to 
get a, a, a retailer's, you know, buyer in and have a chat with them about it because we're coming at it from one point. There's a lot of stakeholders in this conversation um, that all need to be heard um, and all need to be satisfied because if one chink in the chain isn't satisfied, the whole thing breaks apart. Mm. So yeah. I think somebody could, from a completely different point of view, somebody who wants to sell as many as they can um, and uh, and has the criteria and the design on there, it'd be lovely to hear from, uh, maybe maybe for your listeners, it would be lovely to hear from that point of view um, because, you know, knowledge is key with all this. Mm. We can't design a solution without knowing all the variables. Yeah, and there's um, so much so many opportunities to use procurement to help accelerate the circular economy so that's a great idea thank you and nick if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing to help create a better world that can be related to furniture or not what would that be Uh, i'd ban advertising i'm really with you on that one yeah i um i've been if we don't know we want it we don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really good. And um, there's a, uh, a there's a campaign, isn't there? Is it called um, Brandalism? So, yeah. Um, yeah, buying up space on advertising hoardings and so on in cities, but putting a more sustainable or community-focused message on there, often having a bit of a dig at, at big brands and they're, you know, in a sort of um, an oblique way. Um so, yeah, and uh, I've been posting a bit on LinkedIn recently suggesting that we should have marketing literacy courses. You know, we've got carbon literacy to help us understand how our carbon footprints all arise, but marketing literacy to help us understand how marketing works, how we do get, you know, persuaded <laughs> in inverted mm. commas to do things and how they tap into our insecurities and and you know deep-seated needs and so on i think helping people understand how that works so that you can spot when it's coming at you and decide whether or not you're going to go along with it um so brilliant idea i like that thank you and lastly nick how can people find out more and get in touch with you and the furniture recycling group well, they, they can uh, simply go to, to the website, which is www.tfrgroup.co.uk. That's Tango Foxtrot Romeo Group.co.uk. If they are a consumer and they have a bed to recycle, they can go to our consumer website, which is uh, the Mattress Recycling People. And we offer to uh, collect from your house and bring the mattresses back to one of our facilities and recycle it properly. Um, and, um, and, and, uh, yeah, either, either of those two routes and, uh, all the emails and contact details are on there. If anybody wants to speak to us, uh, just to find out more, they don't need to be a potential customer. Then we're always more than willing to help show people around. Um, you know, the more we spread the message, uh, the more it drives, uh, the need I think for, for people to want to get involved and that's that's really important yeah absolutely and it helps people realize that there are good options out there for either buying rejuvenated mattresses or finding finding a way to get their mattress 
back into either a reuse or a or an effective recycling system instead of just wondering whether the local council is going to end up sending it to incineration or landfill. Brilliant. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Nick, for taking us through all that. It sounds like TFR Group is really helping educate lots of, of brands, of of um, procurement teams, of retailers about better ways to design and um, I guess fulfill all the logistics and customer facing parts of dealing with mattresses and, and so on. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. Nick mentioned something called shoddy, which is used as a component for the hard layer to provide a barrier between the springs and your body. Here's a fun historical fact. Originally in the textile industry, shoddy was the name for recycling or remanufacturing of wool and was first commercialised near where I was born in West Yorkshire. Benjamin Law was the first person to scale the activity of taking old clothes and grinding them down into a fibrous state that could be respun into yarn all the way back in 1813. It's interesting to learn about another aspect of the circular economy that's held back by our perceptions of hygiene and not wanting to reuse things. Nick raised a fascinating point though. The vast majority of us think it's perfectly okay to sleep in a hotel bed that's been used by hundreds of other customers. So why do we reject the idea of reusing mattresses that have been deep cleaned before we get them? Those values for the recyclet the recycled materials are another example of the need to easily separate technical and biological materials. For mattresses, the technical element is synthetic fibres. And the natural fibres are the biological materials from living sources. The cotton was worth £80 a tonne, polyester worth £375 a tonne, and yet you'd have to pay £185 a tonne for someone to take the polycotton mix away. That really shows the importance of thinking about the entire life cycle when designing the product and choosing the materials. What really struck me was how much more value could be created and captured by those brands and retailers if mattresses were properly designed for refurbishment, remanufacture and eventually recycling. In our discussion, I mentioned Vogetech Vazeki's LinkedIn post about IKEA's circular economics for sofas, and I've put a link to that in the show notes. I also mentioned Circular & Co's reusable, recyclable coffee cup that's made from single-use takeaway cups. You can hear more about Circular & Co's award-winning design services and products back in episode 36. I also talked about the anti-advertising movement, Brandalism. That's a form of creative activism that's using subvertising to alter and critique corporate advertising by creating parodies or spoofs to replace ads in public areas, often to draw attention to political and social issues, including consumerism and the environment. It started back in 2012 and it's now operating in a few countries. At Rethink Global, I'm busy preparing a new keynote talk for a presentation to a global senior audience. I'm starting to bring in some of the concepts and stories from my next book, so that's feeling both exciting and a bit scary, especially as it's online so I can't pick up on people's body language. 
So there you go, another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Nick Oettinger of the Furniture Recycling TFR Group. And thanks also to Zoe Flynn, Davina Consoli and Sarah Goodyear for making this episode possible. You can find out more about Nick Oettinger and the TFR Group, follow them on social media and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. <music>